Hi everyone, I'm Elvie. And I'm Danielle. And welcome to our show, Medical Mythbusters Hollywood. Hollywood. It is our very first episode today, so we're so happy to have you guys join us. Today we are going to be talking about CPR in the heart. Um, turn it over to Danielle for some background info. Alright, so I think before we get started, there is a more in-depth video on the anatomy and physiology of the heart on our website, along with some more information on CPR, if any of you are interested at in, uh, taking a look at that. But for our listeners who simply do not want to do that, I'm going to run through some basics real quick. <laughs> Feel free to skip past if you just want to get to the good stuff. So basically, our heart acts like a pump to move blood and supply oxygen throughout your body and to your brain. It can be faster or slower, response to outside forces or your body's needs. Obviously, it's very important for your tissues and your brain to get constant blood flow, for constant oxygen, and remove waste so when your heart stops beating, becomes immediately a major issue, and that's where CPR comes in, which is the topic of today's episode. So CPR can be used to keep the blood in the body flowing and moving oxygen. So basically what you are doing when you're giving CPR is acting like the person's heart to manually pump the blood throughout the body. Now, CPR has the opportunity to save someone's life, but that is not a guarantee, nor is it something that comes with an easy recovery. Now, the point of this podcast is to debunk some medical shows, so let's get into it. I know we've all seen CPR performed in almost every medical TV show. I know personally I've seen it in many incidences of cardiac arrest in multiple different shows that I watch. However, I feel like most of us probably haven't really taken the time to see if it's accurate or even considered how it can be misrepresented in the media that we are viewing. Yeah, honestly, the amount of inaccurate CPR and post-CPR recovery shown in today's media is a little concerning. Obviously, it's a more basic medical procedure. It's not like surgery or anything, but so many people watch it done wrong on TV that they're getting some false education if they ever had to perform this in real life. Right, and obviously these actors are not medical professionals, and they can't be doing actual CPR on people who are in cardiac arrest because that's just scary unsafe, and yeah. very unsafe. <laughs> um, but there should be a way that it can be more accurately performed and uh, represented on TV that we watch. I agree. Because, like, think about how many times you've seen something done on a medical show and you've been like, oh, I can totally, like, 100% do that in real life. Like, yeah, you can, but let's make sure we're doing it properly and... Let's maybe get rid of some of those misrepresentations as a learning example. I know I have 100% thought that to myself while watching Grey's Anatomy, that I could just get in there and do it on my own. Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I am a medical professional, so... <laughs> uh, hopefully in this episode we can debunk some of those misconceptions when it comes to CPR and cardiac arrest for you guys. Now we're going to introduce our first guest of this podcast, Emma. She's currently a registered nurse at a local cardiovascular hospital has some first-hand insight on how and when CPR is performed and how that's different from what's portrayed on TV. So, Emma, thank you so much for being here today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into nursing? Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here today and super excited to help educate you all about some common misconceptions about CPR perpetrated by the media. My mom inspired me to be a nurse. She is a nurse, and I've always loved the story she would come home and tell. She's such a powerful woman who has been such a positive influence in the lives of many people in my community. I went to nursing school at Grand Valley State University, Laker Up, which is perfect because of its neighbors on the Medical Mile in downtown Grand Rapids. My clinical experiences were amazing, and I vividly remember watching my first code where my instructor pushed me into doing compressions 
on an elderly woman who went in a cardiac arrest. From that day, I fell in love with the heart and realized how incredible it was. Since heart disease is the leading cause of death in America, I knew I wanted to do my own part in helping those who have been afflicted by such diseases. I graduated from nursing school about 10 years ago. For the first four years, I worked on a med surge unit at Meyer Heart Center. The past six, I've been working in the ICU. I'm also a part of my hospital's code team. So when I'm on shift, I get to be a part of a talented group of individuals that respond to code blues, basically when an individual is going into cardiac arrest. I'm My team's recorder, so I have a pretty good recollection of the things that go down when performing CPR. It's not easy, and it creates a lot of stress in my life, but at the end of the day, I love my job, and I'm super happy that I get to be a part of such an amazing team that helps people when they're at their most vulnerable moments in their life. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing. Um, personally, why do you think that it's so important to portray things like CPR correctly on TV and other modern media? It is crucial that CPR is portrayed with as much accuracy as possible on TV. Growing up, I loved watching ER. I was like, oh my god, that's so cool that all these crazy things happen every day at work, and these people are saving lives left and right every day. When I went into my first clinical rotation, I was expecting miracles to be happening and drama. Well, that wasn't the case. Since I expected so much, it was actually kind of boring, and I kind of was disappointed. I had to find a way to adjust to this reality that would be my life as a nurse. Yeah, I save lives, but nurses do a lot of the dirty work, especially during CPR. TV doesn't really give nurses the credit they deserve, but that's a talk for another day. <laughs> anyway, we all love to hear about the entertaining stories that happen inside the hospital. And that's exactly what medical shows are trying to do. They try to portray the most interesting instances with the most absurd drama. Also, what is up with all the doctors that basically act like nurses, respiratory therapists, nurse techs, x-ray techs, all in one? In the real world, we all have very specific roles, and the doctors aren't around as much as one would think. Even though I was able to see the realities of life at the hospital, not many people can do this who don't work in healthcare. So, like me before I started nursing, we were all pretty misinformed about what goes on in hospitals. Misinformation about medical realities is super influential on medical decisions like advanced care plans concerning stuff like DNR orders. I did some research before I came on to make sure my info that I learned in nursing school was still accurate. Not to freak everyone out, but the older you are in the hospital, the more likely it is to go into cardiac arrest proven in the study by Chan et al. in 2012. If media has been portraying important medical procedures like CPR incorrectly one's whole life, that has a huge impact on decisions made. And that's what research on CPR portrayal in the media has proven. In 1993, Sean Wetter and others conducted a study that found that 92% of patients over 62 years old obtained information about CPR from television. They changed their minds after they learned the true probability of survival. I mean, that's pretty freaky. And there were a few other studies that discovered this as well. Basically, older people overestimate the survival rate of CPR, which is driven by inconsistent and inaccurate information given on TV shows that they've been exposed to their whole lives. I mean, who could blame them? I would expect some medical shows to be a little bit accurate, especially when exposed to the same thing over and over again. But this is super important because, again, older individuals have a higher, higher likelihood of going into cardiac arrest. So if they or their families think they're going to survive it, they most likely wouldn't even consider a change in code status unless educated by their doctor about the reality of CPR. 
Hopefully, I can help educate you all so you'll make an informed decision about a family member's or your own life if you ever, unfortunately, put were put in that type of situation. And I know it might be super scary to think about, but if you're like me, I like to be prepared, even for the worst. To sum it up, misinformation about CPR on TV is not only ridiculous, but also a threat to our own health. Thank you, Emma. That's a really great point. I think it's really important to think about who the audience of these TV shows is going to be and the um, implications of whether or not they're going to take this as fact or fiction and if they're ever going to be in a situation where they might have to use the information they're seeing on TV in their real lives. For our next question, how exactly in a hospital do you determine if CPR is the correct course of action to take? This is a super important question because if you are a bystander, it is important to recognize when someone is going into cardiac arrest. Basically, CPR is given when someone's heart stops beating, which is also known as cardiac arrest. At work, something that patients and their families always mix up is the difference between cardiac arrest and a heart attack. So a heart attack is when one of the coronary arteries, which is a blood vessel that sends blood away from the heart, becomes blocked. The heart muscle is robbed of its vital blood supply and, if left untreated, will begin to die because it is not getting enough oxygen. Versus, cardiac arrest is when a person's heart stops pumping blood around their body and they stop breathing normally because of this. A heart attack can cause cardiac arrest, but it's usually not the other way around. So now that we got that straight, we can tell when someone is going into cardiac arrest either by witnessing it firsthand and seeing an unresponsive patient without a pulse, or through the use of monitoring devices like telemetry or a pulse oximeter. So these devices together are super important for us to detect change and to see maybe when someone might go into cardiac arrest and to maybe have us prevent it by giving drugs to help with these abnormalities. So on TV, when you hear someone say, oh, she's back in sinus rhythm after successful resuscitation, that means that their heart is beating normally again and CPR can be done. Almost every time on TV, though, defibrillation is used, even though that usually isn't the case in reality. It only works with certain arrhythmias, which is irregular heartbeats, like ventricular fibrillation, which is defined by the Mayo Clinic when disorganized heart signals cause the lower heart chambers, which are called the ventricles, to twitch. As a result, the heart doesn't pump blood to the rest of the body. The other shockable rhythm, known as ventricular tachycardia, or VTAC or VT, is defined by Johns Hopkins that occurs when the lower chamber of the heart beats too fast to pump well and the body doesn't receive enough oxygenated blood. Most shows defibrillate in any rhythm, even though flatlining, which is known as asystole, among other co common rhythms during cardiac arrest aren't shockable. It's crazy how something as simple as that is portrayed wrong on TV. So what exactly is the cause of CPR that you see most often in a hospital? We can look at some underlying causes that cause CPR. I made a graph that shows the differences of these causes, which can be found on the podcast websites, thanks to Elvie and Danielle. In real life, cardiac-related diseases are the top cause of cardiac arrest. Examples of this include a myocardial infarction, where your heart muscle begins to die because it isn't getting enough blood flow, usually caused by a blockage in the arteries that supply blood to your heart. Other common causes, in order from greatest to least common, are non-cardiac medical diseases, surgical-related complications, and for the remaining 3% trauma and other causes. Now, TV loves the messy, interesting, most entertaining causes, 
like trauma. I took a look at three separate studies that analyzed instances of CPR in shows like Grey's Anatomy, which is my favorite, but not for accuracy reasons, House, ER, and Chicago Hope. You can take a look at the specifics of the studies on the show's blog, but I'll give you the highlights. When combining all the studies, trauma is an outright winner. We all remember the shows that have crazy gunshot wounds, horrible car accidents, and absurd lightning strikes that cause CPR. But do we find myocardial infarction interesting? Well, writers do not. They find cardiac disease so uninteresting that it only accounts for around 20% of CPR portrayals on television. This is shocking, given that, as I mentioned before, heart disease is the leading cause of death. But maybe we all want a break from reality, which is what they're catering to. As viewers, knowing that the causes of CPR are probably rare instances is important so we know we really need to take care of ourselves if given a diagnosis of a heart-related disease to prevent cardiac arrest from happening in our own or our loved one's lives. So, can you walk us through some of the steps of performing CPR? Of course! Before we do that, I want to go into how CPR works, so we can assess the quality of CPR from both real and TV portrayed instances. When we are performing CPR, we are acting as an artificial pump for the heart. This is essential for getting oxygenated blood to the brain to keep it alive. In a study by Lurie et al. in 2016, CPR physiology was examined. Here are the most important details. There are two main phases of CPR, compression and decompression. During the compression phase, pressure builds up in the chambers of our hearts, which propels blood forward through the blood vessel that carries blood away from the heart, the aorta. This creates positive pressure which allows oxygenated blood to get to the brain via the carotid arteries that stem up the aorta. The decompression phase mimes the relaxation phases of the cardiac cycle, allowing blood to flow into the heart. It creates negative pressure which creates a vacuum effect, causing the vena cava, the vein that brings blood into the heart, to expand and fill with blood. This then causes the chambers of the heart to fill as well. Not only does it facilitate chamber refill, but it also readies the heart for the next compression. The main goal in this phase is to maximize preload, which is the stretching of the muscles of the heart due to filling. The more preload there is, the greater stroke volume the heart has, which increases the cardiac output the heart can produce. This amazing ability to act as a pump comes with its kicks. It is, if it isn't performed correctly, or if not started almost immediately, the survival rate declines. So now we can get into how it's done exactly on adults. You can take a class in your community to give you the certification known as Basic Life Support, or BLS, so you can save lives yourself. Anyone can take it. We will discuss BLS only because Olus Vingan's research from 2009 shows that advanced life support, like when you hear docs and shows giving epi, which, by the way, nurses do that, doesn't really increase the odds of survival, especially if BLS techniques are not done with good quality. In the hospital, CPR is only administered for full code status patients. After we notice a patient being unresponsive and without a pulse, we call a code blue by pressing a button that alerts the code team and then we immediately start compressions. Compressions are done first because the blood has a residual amount of oxygen in it that is available for the brain. 30 compressions are done on the lower half of the sternum, allowing for full chest recoil to optimize preload, and then two rescue breaths are done after opening up the airway. Compressions must be at a depth of 2 to 2.4 inches at a rate of 100 to 120 compressions per minute. Once an EED is available and the pads are placed on the patient's chest, it assesses for a shockable rhythm which will be administered if present. 
These cycles last for two minutes. After two minutes, we do a pulse check and assess for defibrillation again. This repeats until ROSC, which means return of spontaneous circulation, or until the family decides it is time to call it, or if the doctor decides there is no chance of ROSC. CPR is like a calm storm. Everyone is prepared for it and must stay confident and relaxed to ensure quality CPR is given. Now, there is a lot of room for error shown in a study by Hope and Chamberlain in 2004. If compressions are too slow, there is not enough pressure created, or if they are too fast, there is not enough filling time. If rescue breaths are given too often, this may cause hyperventilation, which eliminates the pressure and therefore reduces preload. If compressions are too shallow, preload is also diminished. There needs to be a long line of compressors ready to sub in to reduce fatigue. According to the same study, sternal fractures occur in at least one-fifth in rib fractures as well as rib and or sternal fractures in at least one-third of the patients during conventional CPR. As you can see, CPR needs to be done with extreme attention to detail to increase survival outcomes. If TV portrays it wrong, it may subconsciously let rescuers fall prey to incorrect resuscitation methods. What are some major differences um, from what you see on TV versus what you've seen in real life, either getting CPR or watching other people give CPR? Wow, that's a great question, and I'm so happy I came prepared for it. First, the setting of an in-hospital code differs greatly on TV versus in real life. In real life, most CPR is given in an ICU unit. On TV, we see a lot of CPR happening in the emergency room due to trauma. TV may make it seem common for freak accidents to cause cardiac arrest, and in reality, it usually happens in the setting of an ICU under previous medically-related pretenses. One of the most important differences between real-life and TV CPR portrayal is survival. When you have the time, refer to another graph I made that included the same three studies that analyzed CPR causes. CPR on television is glorified to the max. If I wasn't in the medical field, I'd probably think that everyone and their mothers and their mother's mothers would survive cardiac arrest. As mentioned earlier, older people typically overestimate survival from CPR, which is a risk for making educated medical decisions. In the first TV study, which looks at seasons 7 and 8 of Grey's Anatomy and, and House, of patients who received CPR, 69.6% were successfully revived. Survival rates were similar between the two TV series. In the second study, which examined the medical shows Casualty, ER, Holby City, and Grey's Anatomy, 46% of patients who had CPR done on them achieved ROSC. In the third study, which looked at Chicago Hope, ER, and Rescue 911, of the 60 patients who underwent CPR, 46, 77%, survived the immediate cardiac arrest. The true likelihood of achieving ROSC from CPR is 44%. Two out of the three studies overestimated survival by a long shot. Learning this amazed me and helped me empathize with the hard decisions my patients' families have had to make. Of the patients who achieved ROSC, we can look at survival to discharge for two out of the three studies. One didn't have any data. For TV study one, a whopping 71.9% of patients who achieved ROSC survived to discharge, while in TV study three, 37% survived to go home. That is another overestimate of the harsh reality of only 17% of people who have had CPR done on them survived to discharge. I feel this on a personal level every day. I wish real life was like TV shows and I could save a majority of my patients.
Unfortunately, that is not the reality. To add, survival on TV is almost always portrayed as full survival or death. On TV, when you hear someone talking and walking right after being revived, examine that critically. If someone who I just revived started talking to me, I'd probably pee my pants out of pure shock. Medical TV is just so, so, so wrong. Another thing TV gets wrong is the length of resuscitation efforts. In real life, the average time of resuscitation efforts is 16.1 minutes, according to Chan and others' 2015 study. Now, a lot of time on TV, CPR is dragged out to almost an hour in length. There are also lots of interruptions on TV during CPR. If that happened in reality, the chance of survival would be low. All in all, medical TV portrays a false narrative of how CPR really works. Not even gonna lie, I still watch it, and I thoroughly enjoy it. When I watch it, though, I take everything with a grain of salt and think critically to myself, asking, does this make sense? So on our website, we have a clip from Grey's Anatomy from the, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched this, from when (laughs) Meredith drowns. What are some of the inaccuracies of this clip when she's getting CPR? Oh my goodness. I swear Meredith has nine lives. Is she secretly a cat or something? The first thing I noticed about this clip was how long it must have took for them to notice Meredith drowning in unresponsiveness. Refer to the fourth graph on the Medical Mythbusters blog that shows how the time after collapse in CPR relates to survival. Every minute counts. After 25 minutes, the survival rate is practically zero, according to Larson and others' 1993 study. I have a feeling it took definitely more than a few minutes to notice Meredith's collapse. For funsies, let's say it did only take a few minutes. Now, drowning as a means for CPR? How often does that really happen? Drowning in general is fairly rare, but drowning falls into the 1% other category in real-life causes of CPR intervention displayed in graph 1 on the blog. So, this is another super rare, real case of CPR intervention portrayed here. Now, why is McDreamy only giving her 5 compressions? He should be giving her 30. And, he is like barely pressing on her. Why is he even there in the first place, too? Usually that would be an EMS responder or a bystander. Also, in terms of drowning, a study done by Spilsman and others in 2012 recommended five rescue breaths instead of two, since water in the airways can interfere with effective alveolar expansion in the lungs. In the case of other things usually going on when giving CPR to someone who's drowned, the same study showed that the regurgitation of stomach contents occurs in almost 90% of those who require CPR. There are no signs of this whatsoever happening to her. I do like that he's minimizing interruptions, though. Personally, I do not think that this would lead to a successful revival. But spoiler alert, sorry, and unsurprisingly, it does. Warning, this is a really, really bad example of CPR. And this is pretty common, as we described earlier, in a lot of medical television shows. So when you see CPR next on TV, go through it in your head like I just did. I hope this has been educational, and if you have any other questions, feel free to DM me on Instagram at nurse underscore Emma. Thanks so much, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. All right, Emma, thank you so much for coming on the show and teaching us a little bit about CPR and how it looks in the hospitals. I think we've learned a lot today, and we couldn't have done it without you. You're very welcome. Next interview is going to be with Maya, a 65-year-old woman who went to the hospital and was treated for cardiac arrest. She's going to kind of give us an inside perspective on receiving and the recovery from CPR. Maya, why were you admitted to the hospital in the first place? I have congestive heart failure, and I was having chest pains, 
So I wanted to make sure everything was alright. The doctors told me that I was admitted uh, just to monitor my heart condition. So you were admitted to the hospital and obviously your condition worsened and you said you eventually went into cardiac arrest. Was CPR then performed on you in the hospital? Yes, it was. And then do you have like an account like from your doctors of how that went for you and what that was like in your personal experience? Uh, yeah, so the doctors told me that they performed CPR for a minute until my heart rate became more stable. And um, while they were performing CPR, they broke a couple of my ribs, but that was expected um, considering how hard they had to test. So what exactly was the cause of your cardiac arrest? The doctors say that I have arrhythmia and that I have congestive heart failure, which is the reason I was admitted to the hospital in the first place. And then what has recovery looked like for you? And how long has this really taken for you to get this far? Well, it's been a slow recovery. The hospital put me on diuretic, which helped me get rid of some extra fluids in my body. Um, And it's been helping me avoid going into cardiac arrest again. I also got a pacemaker to regulate my heart rate. So that just like watches it and make sure that it's not getting too high or too low. I was also in the hospital for four days, and I just got my six-month follow-up for an appointment to see how I was doing. I'm still recovering with some broken ribs and going to PT to help with that. I've also experienced some mental strain, so I've been going to therapy from everything that's happened. How has this major life event affected you uh, mentally and physically? Well, I've faced a lot of challenges so far. I'm suffering a lot mentally after being in the hospital for a few days, not knowing what was really going to happen. I was feeling discouraged because of how old I am, um, but I'm very lucky to be alive knowing how most people my age don't um, live after having heart failure. So I'm still recovering from the broken ribs, like I said, but it's been pretty normal. Um, I'm just not moving around as much as I used to, but that's pretty much expected. Has this experience changed your perspective on CPR and cardiac arrest? Well, going into this, I did not know the survival rate, but looking back on it, I should have been more scared in my situation. I've seen CPR done on TV shows, and most of the time, the person will come back, but in reality, the chance of survival in comparison is pretty low when I looked it up, so... And when I did look it up, it said, I was surprised, it said only about 40% of people come back after CPR, so that's pretty scary, but I'm just very lucky to be in the position that I am right now. Thank you so much for sharing, Maya. Um, we really appreciate your personal story. First, I never would have considered how cardiac arrest can affect your life for many months after the incident. Definitely in TV shows, they only show the really traumatic, like in the hospital, going into cardiac arrest, and the recovery process is never really highlighted in TV shows. We just also wanted to disclaim that this is not a cookie cutter situation, how everyone recovers. Based on your previous health conditions, you might have a different experience than this. We don't want to put any like false pretenses out there about it being an easy recovery or a hard recovery. It's really just going to depend on you as a person. That's a very good point. Many TV shows rarely go into the recovery from such traumatic incidents because it's not as interesting as the event itself. And obviously, TV is meant to be entertaining. That's the point of the television we watch, to be entertained. And post-CPR recovery just might not be that hot of a topic, but it's definitely something that deserves representation in media. 
So I'm glad we could really get a real-life perspective. Diving into this topic today has just really opened my eyes on how popular media consumption affects the consumers and how they idealize how the real world works. I'm sure many of you have watched CPR on TV shows like Grey's Anatomy and assumed that the actors would know the proper way to do it or that they could perform it on a person in cardiac arrest when in reality they, they probably have never actually done it. They definitely have no idea. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think the media can definitely sway the consumer's mind of what is fact and fiction in the medical world. And depending on the situation, this can have really negative implications in the real world because people think that they're more qualified to perform CPR than they are. And while it is probably a good idea to jump in and try to help someone that's in cardiac arrest, because media is such a huge source of information, if we can make that information more accurate, we can have better outcomes when bystanders have to step in and perform some of these life-saving techniques. Yeah, I totally agree. Hopefully none of these people watching shows actually think that they have what it takes to perform CPR on somebody actually in cardiac arrest. Obviously, you want to help people if they're, you know, going to cardiac arrest in public, but still, you know, should be calling an ambulance or calling in the professionals to do that. It's very likely that people have used these representations, and it might have even caused some adverse effects in real-life situations when they thought that they were able to handle it on their own. Oh, 100%. It's always important to, even when you're trying to perform CPR, make sure your next step is calling 911, calling the ambulance, calling the EMTs. And you're right, I'm sure there has been some really negative implications of people trying to do CPR and they just have no clue they're doing, which is not their fault by any means. Not everyone is educated on CPR, but there's been some negative outcomes and side effects of that happening. But as we said earlier, we do consider CPR, well, I'd consider CPR to be a more basic medical procedure. It's something that pretty much everyone is taught if you're working in the health field. The fact that TV shows sometimes can't even get that right, like CPR, it makes you wonder what else they're getting wrong, like what else is being portrayed incorrectly, which obviously is the point of this podcast. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just really kind of makes you think about, you know, how much inaccurate information are you really seeing in a TV show that you watch? And we hope to continue to kind of bridge that gap between science and pop culture TV so that you guys can all just be more aware of inaccuracies in your media. And we hope that you'll join us next time for our episode focusing on bullet wounds represented in medical TV shows. Be sure to check out the blog for a better look at graphs and videos that were referenced in this podcast today. Don't forget to subscribe and share our podcast with your fellow medical show addict friends. And a special thank you to our two amazing guests, Emma and Maya, who are willing to come in and do an interview with us today. We will see you guys next time.